Hello, and welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 120, Come Pray With Me. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to take a time, maybe the next few weeks, in looking at the prayer that Jesus left with us. And um, some people would hardly refer to that prayer at all in their lives. Others give great place to it. But I want us to stand back and look at this prayer. It's fascinating. To me, it is one of those governing scriptures that has guided my life in the last many years. So there's more than one place that we could go to see Jesus teaching this prayer. I have chosen uh, Luke chapter 11. So let's read those verses. Now it came to pass as he, that's Jesus, was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And at other times you have inserted there a doxology to end, for yours, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And there it is. That, that's the prayer. And I, I said that it has it's been a governing factor in my life over many decades. And I want to look at it, not necessarily word by word to begin with anyway, but just to sort of look at it and, and, and say, what kind of a God is it that would give us this prayer to pray? and to pull that out and realize how this prayer can literally change, radically change our life. I I chose Luke uh, of the times that Jesus taught this prayer because it gives us a context which some of the others don't. It is that Jesus was praying and he was obviously praying in the presence of the disciples And he was obviously praying aloud. I might say that that would be the Jewish way. That to pray they stood with hands outstretched and they prayed aloud. And so the disciples hear him and they are awed by what they hear. And even though they are bursting with questions, they they keep quiet until Jesus has finished. And then... I can almost hear the awe in their voice. The reason I say that is because from their very question, they'd never heard anybody pray like this before. The intimacy that Jesus revealed between him and God, the God he called Father, Abba, and the way in which he presented his requests that they had never heard anything like that before. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, these were Jewish chaps, and they were raised in the synagogue, and they had plenty of prayers to pick from. There were prayers to be said throughout the day. But when it came to listening to Jesus, there was something about the way Jesus prayed that was far beyond anything they'd ever been taught in the synagogue. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray. 
You, 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 you are exhibiting to us a familiarity and yet an awe before God who is your Father. Please take us by the hand. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how you come to what we're hearing you say. I find that in itself is fascinating because as you go through the scripture, uh, specifically the Gospels, let, let me limit what I just said to the Gospels, as you go through the life of Jesus and his relationship to these disciples, you remember he sent them out and he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God had come among them. But do you find it fascinating? They never said to him, Lord, teach us to preach. This is something very real to me. Um, In my most early days, that was front and center to me, that the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them to preach, but he was asked to teach them to pray. I find that fascinating. That, that Jesus, in that sense, is putting prayer above preaching, above teaching. Uh, it's the person who does the preaching. That one has got to be taught how to pray. It's the most important thing you will ever discover in your life. The nature of your relationship with God the Father. And he sent them out on more than one occasion to heal the sick. But do you ever hear the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to heal? They they simply did what they'd seen Jesus do, but they didn't have to be taught how to heal. Again, fascinating. And so I, I come to this with the sense, yes, of awe, Uh, of the wonder of it, that we are given this unbelievable privilege of communicating, relating to the Father. And Jesus will teach us. He will teach us. And he teaches by giving this prayer. Now, I said a moment ago, some people hardly refer to this prayer at all. Uh, and it's it's because they may have come from or heard of many of the liturgical churches which pray this prayer on many an occasion, daily, in fact, and they feel that it's just a rote prayer and it would be just vain repetition and so they've neglected it totally, put it out of their life almost. And on the other hand, you have those persons who pray this prayer every day. I would say that I am among the latter. I pray this prayer not once a day, but many, many times a day under different circumstances. This, to me, I say again, is, is the cornerstone of our relationship with God, specifically in prayer. And so Jesus gave us this prayer, and he gave us the prayer to say it. He said, when you pray, say. And so this he gave us to say. I might just say as a sort of an aside that there's nothing spiritual about saying something that no one has ever said before. Uh, I I was, when I was born again, I came among people who believed you, you, everything had to be new and different. So we could never have the service quite the same way, never do things quite the same way, certainly never pray with the same words. Um, But actually that led to a lot of confusion. Um, No, he said, when you pray, say this. And, And so one can say this, and if you say it with intention, and having the Holy Spirit open your eyes as you pray it and pray it slowly and feel the weight of it. I say again, that's going to change your life. But also, especially as you go to the other recordings of Jesus teaching this prayer, that 
I, I believe and I practice that this is an outline of prayer. It's as if Jesus is saying that when you pray, make sure all of this is included. And in that sense, each line is almost a heading for prayer. That as you pray that heading, it's going to take you into your immediate circumstances and it thus becomes an outline that, that, that every part of this prayer is included every time you, you pray. You could, in that sense, call it the map of prayer because um, I, I am going to follow this road of prayer and fill in the blanks of my own life and experience in this present moment. I think that both of these ways of looking at it will become obvious as we continue over the next hours together to look at this prayer and find out what Jesus is truly teaching us. You see, we have to understand, and I suppose I'm speaking specifically to those who really don't use this prayer as a prayer, but if you go back to the beginning of the church, and you know that's where I usually end up, in those first centuries, the, the Christians who came to know Jesus under the ministry of the disciples, and those who came to Jesus from the ministry of the disciples of the disciples, the, those who were so close to this, what did they do with this prayer? As, that, to me, is a very important question. If, if I could sit down and talk with Matthew and Peter and John and, and say, what did you do with this prayer? Where does it fit in? And if I couldn't get to them, if I could get to those fellows and girls who had sat and, and been taught by Matthew and Peter and John and, and ask them, what, what did they tell you about this, you see? And if you go back to those early, early centuries of the church, this prayer stands right there at the very beginning. Let me suppose that you have proceeded toward Christ. That's how it was in those early days. You didn't raise your hand and get a slap on the back and say, jolly good show, old chap, you're in. No, you, you, you spent time learning, discovering the gospel uh, until that time when there was consensus of witness that you, you had faith in Christ Jesus and, and the news that comes with him. And so you would then apply for baptism because that was your public entrance into the church. You've been developed in the womb of the church. But now, through water, you are going to be declared before all that you trust Jesus Christ as Lord. And so in, in those days before you come to baptism and your public acknowledgement that you're a Christian, you would be taught this. Yes, in a day when many people didn't read or write, you were taught this prayer because this prayer says it. This prayer contains everything you're going to need. And so, as you approach baptism and your entry into the public company of believers, you learn by heart this prayer. You are baptized. And the way it was done in many cases, you are baptized in the bathroom of one of those great Roman houses. And then you were brought out dressed in a white robe, and you're still wet, I mean, your hair is all sticking to your face, and I know you ladies would have a fit, but you're brought out of the bathroom and presented to the gathered church at the time of the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, which in the earliest days of the church you would not have seen until that moment, and you are brought in your white robe, fresh from the waters of baptism, the oil that has been put upon your head as they called upon the Holy Spirit to fill you. And you come and you stand in front of the body of believers 
and you are urged, and if you uh, follow one of those early liturgies of the Holy Communion, there it is right in the middle, be bold to say. We, we tell the people, let us be bold. And, and that was first given to this person so fresh in the kingdom of God. They would be urged, now you be bold, dare to say it, that God is your Father. Lead the people in this prayer. And so the very first words of a person fresh in Christ in front of the people that shall now come known as, as a family of God, this new one is urged to be bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, and the whole body would then join in. Uh, why do I take time to tell you that? Because I'm trying to say, however we look at this prayer, it obviously was of supreme importance in the early church. You might say that the first believers were people of this prayer. They were people of the prayer, this prayer. And so, that's why I want to approach it very slowly. I'm not, I have, in, among my CDs that we sell, we, we have a series on the Lord's Prayer. And I, yeah, I still sell it. I still stand totally by what I said. I don't want to do it that way, though. I want to look at this prayer sort of meandering through it, like a lazy stream passing through a meadow and stopping here and there to enjoy it. And what I want to see here is the God that Jesus reveals in this prayer because only the God who gave us his son, the God who is the gospel, only that God could give us this prayer to pray. This prayer stands unique among the prayers of the world. Jesus is the one who taught us. Think about that. Jesus is the one who taught us this prayer. Now, I find that fascinating because Jesus, of him it is said, no one has seen God at any time, but this one, the only begotten God, this is John 1.18, the only begotten God who is in the very bosom, the very heart of the Father, he has, and the word there is explained him, uh, Actually, if you, you know the word exegeted him, it means he is the one that takes the very heart of the Father and shows him. This is who the Father is. God comes from God to tell us who God is in language of humans. This is Jesus, the exegete of God. Jesus, the revealer of God. So, it would be very true biblically to say that this prayer is God teaching us to pray. It is God himself giving us instruction concerning our thought forms and our heart forms as we come to articulate before him. This is... This is interesting. God himself became human and that God-man teaches us how to pray. And let me remind you again, the context of this is that he was praying and they asked him to teach them to pray as he was praying. It was his prayer that inspired the question. And therefore, you have to say that this is how Jesus prayed. 
And now he is inviting us, could I use a stronger word, he's drawing us to actually join him in the kind of fellowship that he had with the Father. Ours would be a fellowship, a communion with the Father, which is of sheer grace. That is 101% gift. He gifts us with this unspeakable privilege of communion and fellowship with the Father. Whereas when Jesus prayed, he is praying as the Son of God by unbegun nature. This is who he is. Which again faces us with this gospel that we, you and I, whomsoever I'm speaking to, you and I are called into, to join into, by grace, the fellowship and communion that God the Son has with God the Father. This, this is amazing. Jesus taught us how to pray. Therefore, Jesus is behind every line of this prayer. Because, you see, there are people I know who do not pray this prayer because they say, Jesus isn't there. It's addressed to the Father, but it doesn't even end within the name of Jesus. And so they sort of leave it there in the gospel and to say we've, I guess they would say we've graduated now into post-Pentecost. Well, I, I disagree. There's not one line of this prayer that would work outside of Jesus. Jesus not only taught this prayer, he's the one that makes this prayer vital and happening. And I might say the Holy Spirit isn't here either, but he's in every line because this prayer doesn't take place at a heart level without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit. To actually pray this prayer intelligently, I am interacting with the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say that by teaching us this, Jesus is giving to you and I the authority to say these words. Now, that's going to take some time to get through this and look at what I've just said, but let, who gives you the right to say that God is your Father? You see what I mean? What? Who gave you the right to beseech God that his kingdom come? And his will be done on your piece of earth as it is in heaven. You see what I'm... Who gave you the right? Who gave you the authority? I, I know we live, at least here in the U.S., we live in an age where authority is mocked and scorned. But the fact is, you're going nowhere without authority. <laughs> what, 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 right, what right do you have, you see? Um... You, you, you can have power. I mean, anyone can have a gun, but you've got to have the authority to use it. You know, you know what I mean by authority. Uh, uh, here's come 18-wheeler trucks down the highway, and a little fellow stands out into the road and puts up his hand, and they all come to a screaming stop. Why, that, that's authority. He happens to wear a badge and a uniform. He's a policeman and therefore he has been given authority to do what others can't do. Well, this prayer is given to you by the God-man Jesus who is God come to lay hold upon us and bring us to the very reason and meaning of our creation. And he gives you and I the authority to stand before the Father and pray this prayer. I suppose in that sense, 
this whole prayer is exactly what it means to pray in the name or in the authority of Jesus. Do, do you see what I'm saying? And as I've been hinting all the way along, in this prayer, Jesus is revealing to us the true God. Hear my words. He's revealing to us who God really is. He's doing that by not only saying Father, but giving us every other word. Every other word there is a window into the heart of God. And so he's introducing us. He's revealing to us the true God. And say, this is the one you talk to. And because it's this true and only God that I'm revealing to you, you have the authority to say these words. He's the kind of God that wants you to pray in this fashion. Why do I say that? Because we have many, what shall I say, dime store gods. You know, you can two for two for a dollar sort of thing. Uh, they're, they're gods made by humans. Back in the ancient days, such gods would be made of silver or bronze or stone or wood, carved out by god makers and then sold in, in the store. But today we don't do that. Um, we, we make gods out of ideas, gods out of thoughts and words. And they, they, you can soon, you can see them immediately. They're, they're handmade. They're human-made because the, the god the person is talking to is exactly like a human. Maybe a sort of give a push, superhuman, but but a God who is not a God. I say he's a dime store God, a very small God, very small, very limited, very boring actually, and, and therefore he doesn't fill our lives. He's too boring for that. Um, in some respects, he's pathetic because he lets the devil get away with everything. And he's very moody. You never know what mood he's in. You know, people, they, they pray to a God like that. Uh, and, and there's no intimacy. They don't know who he is, except he's a sort of higher power God, you know. He's a bit more than we are. And, and, and therefore we, we call to him and it's just a... Well, Jesus is introducing us to a very different kind of God. No higher power here. Um, no, he's introducing us to the true God. Let me put it this way. All prayer, the real thing, must begin with God. This isn't something we make up. This isn't something that we decide, well, I think I need a bit of extra help here, and so uh, I'll ask whoever, whatever, for help. No, prayer doesn't begin with us. Prayer begins with God. Prayer begins with God, for he reveals himself as the God who made us to pray. He created us, fashioned us. We were created for this fellowship with God. So he's the kind of God that wants you to talk to him. He's the kind of God that would enter into conversation. This, this God that Jesus introduced is desperately, passionately interested in every detail of your life and your world. It's the kind of God he is, and Jesus reveals that. It wasn't our idea. Jesus is the revelation of that kind of God. And when we pray, our prayer, the words that we use, and, and the hopes that we have, the expectancies that we have, the very things we ask for, they all reveal what kind of God we're talking to. You better think about that one. 
prayer is all about a revelation of God, a revelation of God to us and a revelation in our mouths of that God as we take him at his word and we pray prayers that are as big as God and we pray prayers that expect God to hear. Prayers that assume God is listening and assuming and expecting and already giving thanks that he answers. That's the kind of God he is. It all shows up when we pray. You can get away with a lot of nothingness until you pray. And when a person prays, then they know whether they know God or not. And they discover the kind of God that they would think they know. You see, I say it again, we are created. The creator, the one who invented us and put us together, he wired us. We are made beyond all other creatures. We are made for a love relationship with the Creator. In fact, Jesus here is telling us we can call him not just Creator God, which all speaks of his power, but a love relationship to him, the Creator, we call him Father. You see, mankind was created to be vice-regents of this planet. Do you understand that? I suppose that's more a British expression than than an American one. Um, In the days of the British Empire, uh, the Queen, I'm thinking of Queen Victoria back there, um, would have... Well, what can you call them? Sub-kings in various parts of the world. And they were called vice-regents or under-rulers or rulers in the place of the Queen in London. Well, that's what mankind was created to be. Created to be God's vice-regents on earth. We were here to govern the world in his stead. In fact, in the Psalms it says the heavens belong to God, but he gave the earth to man. Um, And the Hebrew language there, I could give a a paraphrase of it. It, it, God put man in charge of the earth. Anything that happens here goes through us. We, we are the ones who rule here on earth in the place of God. And we can do that because we are submitted to God and we are visiting with God and we're sharing with him what's happening here. And so we are governing literally in his name. That's, that's why we were created. That was part of the whole magnificent adventure of, of, of creation. And... And, and so that takes us to this. Now, when man fell and handed the whole planet over to Satan, well, then we come to the gospel and Jesus came into this ghetto that we had created, placing ourselves under the slavery of Satan. Jesus came into that and carried that to death, carried you and I to death. And in his resurrection, he raised us from the dead. And he carried us to be seated with him in the place of authority and to now rule and bring the kingdom of God and the will of God to earth in his name, in his authority. Prayer is the working out of that relationship where we actually bring to earth the glory of God, the kingdom of God, the will of God, the pleasure of God. We do it. We do it. That that might be 
something that some folks might have a hard job getting into, uh, but we do it. We, we do it. See, we've got the idea that we sit in the bleachers and watch God do his thing. But this prayer is telling me, as we're going to see, when we get there, it's telling me that, no, we're not in the bleachers. We are the God players right here on earth, and it's our communion with God. It is our sharing with the Father that he in us and through us brings his will to earth but nothing happens apart from prayer prayer is the fundamental that has been placed in the human race since the very beginning and came into its own in jesus and we who are now joined to him it's the way it worked we were created for relationship with the Father, a working, functioning relationship, and a relationship in which we actively shared what's happening with Him, and then went on to direct His love power into the brokenness and the needs of our world, and bring about a manifestation of His love on earth. And I, I, I suppose I've just answered the question, but I, I hear the question many times from sincere people. And I've asked the question myself over the decades. Uh, why doesn't he just do his will? I mean, you, you'll hear this discussed uh, on, on TV sometimes, you know, whenever it would drift in that direction. If God is good, if God is not, why does he allow this? Why does, why does this? Always the human is left out of the question and left out of the equation of the answer. Why doesn't he just do his will? You, you, if you're asking that, do you want to be demoted? You, you really want to be demeaned? you prefer a position beside a chimpanzee? We're not robots. We are the sons and daughters of God in Jesus Christ. And it has been given to us in prayer to actually bring the kingdom of God to earth and to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven, in this situation, in this family problem, in this person, in my own life, in the life of the town, and so on and so on. This is... Uh, it's because he is the kind of God he is, you see. The, the, those, those people who say, why doesn't he just do... Well, you don't know the God that's revealed in Jesus. Do you, do, now do you see it? It's not just God. It's not just a higher power. It's a specific. The only true God is only revealed in Jesus, the Lord. And so when I meet that God, He has elevated you and I to be His children invested us with the authority to bring his will to earth and the way that works and that's a law in the spirit world the way it works is what we call prayer our our desiring our asking specifically in in the way we desire the way we dare to ask reveals what kind of god he is or we would never dare say it and then in that conversation that takes place in which he will reveal what he wants to do or we will put input of what we would like to see happen and in that real conversation we have answered a prayer. It's a, it's a mission. You, you weren't saved just to go to heaven when you die, carried on fluffy white clouds. 
Have you noticed all through the New Testament, believers are called soldiers? You ever seen that? It's there. It speaks of war, soldiers. We're on a mission. We we, we are SWAT team from 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 another sphere. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We've already been born again out of it, but we've come back in with this awesome authority and this marvelous gift of God love and the authority to implement it in prayer. It's not in preaching. If you preach without prayer, you'll probably do more damage. And the signs and wonders in themselves, you you have to have it undergirded by prayer. Now, prayer, prayer is it on this mission. It, it's, it's a mission that's an adventure. You, you are going to discover opposition. I mean, real opposition. Um, you'll find opposition in terms of your own self sometimes. Well, not your own self, because your true self is in Christ. But you, if you notice one of the what what I would say the very axis of the prayer is forgive our sins as we forgive others, which is, it's saying that um, the kind of God who gives us this prayer is that we are those who pass on his forgiveness to every other human being. There's no person that we withhold it from. And it's interesting in, I think it's the Matthew account of this, after Jesus had given this prayer, he goes back to the forgiveness issue and says, unless you are forgiving and forgiving and forgiving, then you're going to short-circuit prayer. Forgiveness. And you'll have your adventure with that. As you... People talk of wrestling in prayer. You don't wrestle with God sometimes. You wrestle with yourself, your flesh. Uh, and, and you realize that you, you need the strength of the Holy Spirit to be a forgiving person as you implement the will of God on earth. But then it, it says, deliver us from the evil one. Some uh, say the evil. Um, and, and it can be just evil, but evil is... is it resides in and spews out of the evil one. And so you're, go- you're going to find opposition. Uh, it's interesting, you know, opposition to God's will being done on earth didn't begin with the fall. Did you know that? Before sin entered in, when humankind were there in the Garden of Eden and learning who they really were and preparing to be the implementers of God's will on earth, he was told to keep the garden. Do you remember that? It's in Genesis chapter 2. Mankind was created. There's no sin yet, so we're not talking about the fall But right there, the very first thing, as he's beginning to be introduced to this mission, Adam is told to keep the garden. And that word means it's a military word. It's to guard it, watch over it. And the implication is there's enemies abroad who would seek to come and destroy God's purpose and plan and which of course did happen. Adam should have kept, guarded the garden against the entry of Satan. But instead, the fool just stood there and let Satan demolish his wife. So yeah, there'll be opposition. And it's not you get in a handbook, but you'll, you'll find out, and then you'll realize what this really means. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
But the kind of God who gave you that to pray, you see, is the one who is the deliverer. And you become the one who delivers persons from the darkness because you've learned how to pray this. You'll also discover your own maturity, your growth, because you cannot pray this day after day and enter into its words and apply the words to where you're at without beginning to develop muscles of the Spirit and grow in grace and in the knowledge of all that Jesus Christ has accomplished, which is right here in this prayer. So, uh, and of course, you'll become educated in who God is. The more you the more you're with a person, the more you know them. The more you talk and develop your hearts together, the more you know them. And you will know him. Some people are very, what shall I say, they're almost ignorant of God the Father. Some people I know really don't feel comfortable with God the Father. You don't know him. God the Father is exactly like Jesus. Exactly. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so the Father isn't the one that scares us. The the Father is not the moody, dark, frowning God in the background. And Jesus, the bright, happy, welcoming No, 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 that's paganism. The Father, the beautiful Father, who is the exact image of the Son, and the Son the exact image of the Father, who so loved you that he sent the Son to bring you home. Yeah, we'll mature in our knowledge. We'll be, just by praying, we'll be educated in who God is. You see, your praying develops your faith. That's why uh, some Bible schools and certainly seminaries, they scare me. Because you go there and you learn a lot of facts. And it's all head stuff. And you don't, don't ever learn a doctrine without turning it into prayer and letting it become a new doorway into Father's heart before you go on. Don't become head heavy. No, let, let this happen in prayer. You discover who God is and you'll discover his methods. You'll discover what he's up to and why he's up to it and how he's up to it. And he'll bring you into it and you'll become, your input will become part of his purpose. Let me say this very quickly because I can almost hear questions on what I just said. Um, the, the idea that many people have that, you know, that, and I'm, we'll get into this later when we talk about his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. But people have the idea that the will of God is as narrow as a hen's face, you know. And Lord help you, you've got to find the will of God, which is almost impossible. He doesn't seem to want you to know it. It's in sealed orders, probably buried under a stone, under a bush. You've got to seek the will of God. Find the will of God. Is this the will of God? And if ever you wanted to do something, you can be sure in those circles it couldn't be the will of God because the will of God is always something we don't want to do, someplace we don't want to go. In fact, to be a spiritual person in some churches, you've got to be a masochist. You've got to want pain because the will of God always suggests that. And when you come to prayer in those circles, you've got to hit on what God wants to do when you pray. And and that's why if ever you dare possibly be a bit creative in asking him, you have to cut it off by saying, if it be your will. No, we're going to get into it, but the will of God is, is so broad, you can't see either side of it. It's God is far more interested in knowing you and you knowing him 
and you'll know what he wants because you'll know his will is as wide as his love. His will is as deep as his power. And he sends you into your family, into your neighborhood to let that loose and to let it loose as you see the problem and see the potential and see the possibility and you present that. It's within this vast will of God. There's a verse, and I don't have it to mind, but it's what it would be, I think, in Second uh, Chronicles. Uh, but you can find it. And it's at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. And Solomon says a very strange thing, at least to the chaps I'm talking about in that circle, because... He he's speaking the words of God, and he said, "The Lord said that that he'd never had it in his mind to have a temple in any particular city." That's interesting. He goes on to say that David, David the king, David, that was the one he chose. That was the one he walked with. That was the one he communed with. And it was in David's heart to build a temple. Not in God's heart. It was in David's heart. And if I dare to be a little loose with my language, God heard what David said, that he would like to build a temple. And God said, that's a jolly good idea. And so the temple was built. God chooses people. And then in the communion and fellowship he has with those people, he lets them loose to creatively bring his will to pass in their families and in their work and in their school and in their towns. Well... That's not in my notes, but I thought I should say it. Because we grow, you see, and understand what he wants. We understand, though it be an idea that's rising within us, it was an idea that took place as I was fellowshipping with him, and it's within the scope of this vast will of love. And so I can present it, and he can give me the strength and the wisdom to do it. We discover God's purpose and then we implement that in prayer which leads to its implementation in action. This this is what Jesus does in this prayer. And he, he begins by showing us his Father, our Father. But He's our Father. And I'm going to stop on this. We've got weeks to deal with this. But He's our Father. That is, I'm not not some mystical guru that has discovered the secrets of the universe and retreat to my mountaintop cave. I'm not the man of God who leaps through the hoops in some religious circus, and I've got the answers. You see, you can't can't have that mentality if you pray this prayer every day, or many times a day, or even use it as your map. Because the first word is our. See, everything I've been saying is about you, it's about me praying. But the first thing we hit when we come to this prayer is our. And our means me and you and you and you. Our. Our Father. Prayer that begins with God is an exercise of the entire body of Christ. You never pray alone. 
You are always praying with every other believer. And in that world in which we live, the heaven that intersects this earth, where we live in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, we are praying along with every other believer that is praying. And we're all praying within this map, within these words that outline how creatures elevated to be sons and daughters of God pray to the Father. I sort of knew that until the early 1970s. I know (laughs) That's before some of you were born. But early 1970s is when I first began to go to Africa. And I'm not sure where I was in Africa. I have a feeling it was Zimbabwe. It doesn't make any difference. But we were out in the, the bush, the jungle. And for some reason, I was off by myself very much. I might have been completely alone Uh, but to all intents and purposes I was alone and if ever you want to feel alone go into the jungle of Africa southern Africa the sky seems to be thousands of feet lower in Africa than here at night because there's no artificial light and so All you see is every star that God ever created. It's a blazing star heaven above you. You understand why it was called the Milky Way? Because it's like milk spilt across the sky. And I was in a hammock between two trees and the sky just above my head, so it seemed. The only sounds were the animals in the jungle just beyond where I was. And I mean, alone. And I was praying and reading the scripture by flashlight. And I came to pray this prayer. And... I suddenly, I I thought, how utterly ridiculous to say our Father. Obviously, this was given to be used in a public meeting when everybody there would say our Father. And here am I in the jungle, utterly alone, and it would be the height of foolishness to say our. It would be using this as if I'm I'm pretending this is a meeting. And so I began to pray, my father. And it was it was as if the Holy Spirit put a hand over my mouth and, and touched me correctively. And what was said in my spirit was, You will never do that again. And there was given to me a revelation of the fact that alone, alone, alone in the jungle, I was in fact in the heavenly realm with millions of believers who at that moment scattered across the earth were communing with the Father through Jesus Christ. And I was one with them and everything that I prayed for that which I knew I was also praying for persons I knew not my very prayer as I gathered up my place in the entire body of Christ and I was praying for all believers in whatever I was praying for, it was extending to all believers. And all of their prayers were extending to me. And we were caught up in this communion with each other, with the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. And as I went through that prayer, I realized how many times not only our Father, 
but give us this day our daily bread. And I realized that I was reaching out in the spirit to persons in all places in the earth who were starving. Forgive us. And I realized that I was reaching my hand down to those who had stumbled and fallen, not only myself. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And every time I've prayed since that day, I realize I never pray alone. I pray in the communion of saints. I pray with the whole body of Christ. Well, as I say, they're passing thoughts of an introduction to this. And the next time we will look at some of the words in detail and see what this prayer does. But until then, could I ask you that you begin to pray this prayer, at least every day, but to pray it slowly, pray it with your heart, to understand what you're saying. And if there's, you begin to realize you don't understand everything, that's okay. Just begin. And know that you are in actual communion with the Father. Because you're in Christ. And He taught this prayer. And the Holy Spirit is energizing you. And the whole adventure is going to open up to you. Well. And now, the blessing of God, God who is almighty love, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, His blessing rest upon you, that you shall be led by His Spirit into a new adventure of prayer and communion with Him. It is to that end I bless you. That is the way it is.